Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin have a podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about Mad Max Fury Road. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive. As always, I'm your host, Corbin Zavokal, and joining me is my co-host. He's a crazy smeg who eats schlanger. It's Cody Webb. Cody, what's going on, man? <laughs> Not too much, man. Very excited to be here. A uh, heck of an intro from you. I thought you were going to ask me off the bat if which one of us is uh, Mad Max and which one of us is Furiosa, but I'll take we, the schlanger as well. I, I don't think that's as bad. That's played out a little bit. Um, schlanger, I, who knows what that means? It's an interesting world <laughs> in, in the world of Mad Max and... Um, you're schmeg that's all i can say cody why do you want to talk mad max why did you pick why me why did you pick me i think there's a bunch of reasons and most of them do have to do with like the do you remember category so i don't want to step on the toes too much but in general i think i like this movie a lot um well you posed three options to me cody yes i did and you know, this movie is kind of just like so unique and really, really well made, I think. But I think it's also a really fun one to talk about because it is crazy weird. Just like the world building and all of the crazy characters, all the set designs are really, really fun. So I, I think it overall is a fun one to talk about. But I think like an action movie scale, um, it, it's definitely one of my personal favorites from like the modern age, I would say. So tons of reasons. And, and like I said, there's definitely lot more than I remember uh you know for better reasonings i think but overall I, I just really like this film i think yeah i mean definitely the movie is so unique from many others and i think we'll talk about the ways that the action really just like stands out and oh the 21st century where we see a lot of the same thing over and over so i think this one's a really fun one to talk about and because of do you remember do you remember 
if we go back to the first time both of us both of us watched it, it was together. And I would say this is a very you know important movie in the early days of uh, our friendship and especially our relationship when it comes to like movie watching and, and kind of talking about and discussing things like that. Um, what do you remember about that uh, that first watch? I mean, I guess we we sort of talked a little bit about it in the Snowpiercer episode as well. Throwing it way back to when we first watched this, we watched it together. Uh, back in the old college days, 3015, I believe. Mm. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I don't know if it was like a double feature with Snowpiercer, but it was around the same time, maybe back to back night or something. A like weekend, that. yeah, yeah, something like that, yeah. <laughs> but it's just kind of a cab classic. If you listen to our Snowpiercer episode, I think that was kind of my reasoning on on that one as well. But yeah, I think both of us at the beginning of this movie were kind of just bamboozled as as to what we were even watching at some time. <laughs> Flabbergasted. Absolutely. Yeah. Just we were we were looking back and forth at each other, like, what is happening? <laughs> so I think it was just a fun watch, mainly because of that, just because we were so caught off guard. But at the same time, I mean, like you're saying, like the visual spectacle that this movie provides from an action standpoint is pretty crazy. But since then, too, I have not seen this movie again other than the first time we watched it, which I think was the same on your page as well, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. You, Like I said, you posed a couple options, maybe talking Babylon, maybe talking The Godfather. But this one is one that I haven't rewatched since that first time. So now at this point, what, we're three years since then it's been? Yeah. Um, no, it's four. We're coming up. It's probably been about four years at this point um because that was like 2019 probably that we watched that and um so so yeah it's uh I haven't seen it since then I've really been wanting to rewatch it of course that first time I I gotta say we watched it on like the tiniest little tv with no sound system or anything whatsoever and of course today I just watched it on my laptop laying in bed so I haven't fully experienced the movie maybe the way it should be uh but it's still a great watch yeah, you need to check it out on the big screen, man. I this time I went my uh, my normal TV TV setup here, so definitely got a, a bunch better experience, and uh, we can throw it over to either a la web. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I kind of agree with you. Like, I feel like I had a, an entirely different experience watching it this time, and uh, maybe part of that is because it, it was on a bigger screen for myself. So maybe you need a third rewatch. But yeah, I think that's. Uh, the really cool thing about like these episodes is like from the first time we watched it together and then where we are now, I think we've both dramatically changed a lot. So just from that standpoint, it was a completely different experience as well, um, which I'll definitely get into. But yeah, I think uh, way back in the day, this was definitely something that bonded Cap together. Definitely a movie that uh, warrants a rewatch as well. There's so much. Like like you said, we were both like, what the fuck? We missed a lot the first time we saw it. I think I gained a little bit of a better understanding of what was going on, but still to the same degree, I'm a little a bit like, what the fuck? So let's get yeah. into our initial thoughts, Cody. Good morning, Vietnam! Maybe we want to talk a little bit about how this movie came to be, because of course, this is technically the fourth movie in a series of, of films that the George Miller was directing back in the eighties with Mel Gibson playing the lead role of Max back in 87 Miller had the idea of doing a Mad Max mu- movie where it was literally an entire continuous chase, which is what Fury Road came to be. Um, but it was kind of just like in development hell, whether like he was trying to figure things out or he had other stuff going on. He wanted to work on other projects. Mel Gibson was busy with stuff. Then you get to like the 2000s and Mel Gibson 
Mel Gibson falls a little bit out of the uh, public grace and, you know, is a little controversial. Also, George Miller said, oh, he's busy and he's too old. So we're going to recast him. And then he eventually picks Tom Hardy to play the role. And that's, I think, like 2008, 2009 is, we'll, we'll talk about the reasons what he was working on then, um, that that kind of falls out. They want to shoot it in early 2010, 2011. They were maybe even going to do like a, the double, the two movie, the Mad Max and the Furiosa movie back to back. That doesn't happen. There's some issues with like VFX and planning and money. And they don't shoot until 2012, finally, uh, after Tom Hardy's done Dark Knight Rises. And then they shoot the movie in 2012. They do some additional photography in 2013 as some reshoots. Um, and then finally it's released in 2015. The movie was shot primarily in Namibia with some additional shooting in South Africa, Cape Town. And then I think the beginning and the end, uh, the, the Citadel location, which was primarily done in those reshoots in 2013, that was uh, shot in Perth in uh, Australia. And I think originally the... Well, I think just canon-wise, too, the movies do take place, like, in Australia, mostly. So that's cool that they kind of were able to shoot there on location for the Citadel as well. But, I mean, yeah, it makes sense a little bit that a movie like this would be in production hell for so long. Just because, like you said, I mean, it's literally just a chase for two hours, in a sense. So if you don't have that kind of planned out to a T and ready to go, I mean, you're not going to make the movie, in a sense. So I feel like it would be difficult just to set everything up for this. Especially, I mean, we'll talk, you know, so much of this movie was done practically, uh, I believe 80% oh, yeah. of it, which is something so it's rare. Insane too. Um, With the splits so in this movie, that is insane. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a ton to plan out. Like you said, you're, it's a continuous shape. You got safety, you've got money. I believe I read somewhere that technically, despite this movie making like $300 million, um, it was still a financial loss when you take in the advertising, the budget and everything and, you know, combined. So like it was a big undertaking to, to produce something like this. But at the end of the day, you get like an epic piece of art um, and uh, I'm glad it exists. Yeah. Respect to uh, the studio heads out there for, for giving George Miller, I think, his due credit and <laughs> saying like make a great film. Like you said, it did well at the box office, but evidently not good enough. <laughs> which is tough for Georgie boy because i want about 10 more of these movies uh, initial thoughts kind of go back to i don't know much about the lore of this movie at all me neither uh, i haven't seen any of the other bad max movies <laughs> i've not seen any of the bad max movies other than this one uh, i've seen like bits and parts of uh, beyond thunderdome with tina turner like mm -hmm. on tv back uh, and it was not good so i wouldn't recommend that but i think the lore is really really strange obviously but like you're saying, I think on a second watch, because the first time I was like, I don't understand any of this. Like, what are these people's names? I don't even understand. Like all the wives, their names. I was like, who's even calling these people? I, I don't understand. But this time around, I feel like I was a little bit more I could wrap my head around it. And that really just let me kind of focus on the practical action like you were talking about. I think that is the stand standout here. Um, crazy stunt work. I love the people on the polls. Um, and I think that is something like uh that would surprise people that is 100 percent real the kind of bouncing up and down of of that uh was, was like certain to slay uh performance which i think is really really dope i think um if you go and watch the behind the scenes in this film honestly at times it's it's even more interesting than than what we get in the movie just because of, like the practical genius um of george miller and this entire stunt crew so shout out to them off the top and then visually along with that I really like the, uh, it like moves from like a red tint to like a blue tint back to a red tint. I feel like it, 
um, in movies like this, I don't really know if like a tent would work. Like look at like Joss Whedon's Justice League. Like that red tent is god awful. There's no reason for it. Like Atomic Blonde, that's another movie like that where it's just like I don't understand like why you need this. I think this movie is kind of the only one that's out there on like the tent works. Like give me more of a red tent. But I don't know. Visually, I I just love this movie all around. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's like the world is so vast, and even though it it feels it's not like anything you can look around and see and like even if you go to the deserts of Namibia like it does not look like this necessarily oh, yeah. um, because of like everything that he puts in it and the characters and the people and the way that it's shot and, and built around it it feels super authentic and it feels real where it's like I can let this you know crazy tinning and color grading you know it, it doesn't put you off in the same way like you said with those other movies so i, I really like that i wanted to go back cody mm-hmm. their names are toast capable the dag cheeto and angarad that those are the wives names so just memorize those keep them in your head <laughs> what uh, was the uh what was the blonde girl's name with with uh the baby it was like that's uh, angarad okay what did he call her though it was it was like splendid that's what it was also he has like pet nicknames for all of them as well so it's kind of a lot of weird character names all around but yeah angrod rip angrod dude gone too soon yeah uh and and zoe kravitz's she's first time watching did you do you remember zoe no i did not realize that she's toast toast the knowing (laughs) nice you are right it is the splendid agarad um Cheeto is Cheeto the Fragile. Is that the um, red-haired girl? It's got you, right? I believe Capable. And that's Riley Kehoe. Do you, it, here's a little trivia. Do you know who Riley Kehoe is, Cody, in the world of so. nepotism? Oh, Nepo, baby. Nice. I don't think I do, actually. Who is she? She is the eldest grandchild of the legend, Elvis Presley. <laughs> no way. Oh, wow. I did definitely not know that. That's actually pretty cool. Shout out, uh, shout out Nepo Babies. Uh, big cat classic there, too. <laughs> yeah, I, she's, I think she's also in Logan Lucky. Um, oh. She plays Melly Logan. So I guess is that the the sister? Hmm. Do they have a sister? I'm not not really sure. She is in, uh, I've talked about it. She's in Zola, which is a movie I, I really uh, enjoy. And I have talked about that before. I'm a big Logan Lucky guy myself. So she's in a lot of good stuff. She picks her projects well. She probably got that Elvis, you know, bank money. So that makes sense. But I wanted to, to quickly go over the cast as well. Um, I think all of the, the the wives are really good, but I think uh, Charlize Theron, I mean, this has got to be the best thing that I've ever seen her do, if I'm being completely honest. Not an old guard head? Uh, well, yeah, but I mean, nowadays too, she's like doing like, you know, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, oh, fast. Post credit scenes. <laughs> like she's really sold out, I feel like in a sense. So if she does return to this franchise, that kind of worries me a little bit. But from a performance standpoint, and I haven't seen all of her stuff from like, you know, the early 90s, 2000s, but I think this is by far the, the best I've ever seen her game at. So shout out, shout out Charlize. I think she's awesome in this look. I'll uh, say the long shot. That's an uh, underrated Charlize oh, performance. I haven't seen that either. You like that movie a lot, don't you? Yeah, it's pretty solid. Uh, one of the better rom-coms, especially existing, in, you know, post 2010. <laughs> well, we don't have too many good ones, so... Yeah, might have to put that on the list. Uh, Seth Rogen, shout out, shout out Ninja Turtles. King, our king. 
but yeah, overall, the, the cast is really fun. Um, I would say this is probably her like best, just like overall performance, performance, especially leading. It's the most taxing on her. Do you think this is Tom Hardy's best performance, Cody? I was going to ask you that too, but I don't know if it's his best performance. I think he is good. Uh, obviously, he doesn't have a ton of dialogue. Do you feel like in the first couple lines of this movie, it feels like he's like, this guy really needs to slip out of Bane. Like, give him a second. And then he does. But like, the first time you hear his voice, it's like, hey man, Bane's over with. You filmed that already. You don't have to go back to it. <laughs> yeah, true. I mean, it's hard to, to get out of the Bane voice, I feel like, if uh, if you've been doing that for a long time. I think he is good. I mean, Tom Hardy, I think, is a, a very good actor. Obviously, you know, typically used by Nolan a lot. Well, you know, Cody, we're, we're kind of stepping on it here. Let's just move on yeah. over to IMDb. I mean. for. Do I know you? I mean, where do I know you from? And we can we can start with Tom Hardy, the four he's known for. Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, Locke, and Mad Max Fury Road. So go ahead and you can continue about, about yeah. Tom Hardy. For these four, I think this is a decent uh, kind of spread of the wealth for him. I'm very happy that Mad Max kind of made the last cut in four. Just because, like you said, I mean, it's got to be up there for either his best film or it's probably not his best performance out of those four movies, but I would argue it's probably the best movie on there. But looking at the other ones, I mean, The Dark Knight Rises, of course, we've done an episode on that. Inception as well, we've done an episode on that, so go check out those first. But I don't love him in Dark Knight Rises. I don't think um, that's a great movie by any you know means. Or that's a great performance other than the voice and and of course the costume design inception is, is of course undoubtedly great so it's hard to juggle i guess between those two of, of what is his best overall movie i definitely want to hear your thoughts on lock though as well is that a flick that you have seen yeah so that's a a24 movie it's tom hardy in a car the entire movie essentially just like calling different people on the phone um and it is a movie that is entirely written on his performance so i understand why it exists in the top four and i think it's deserving because it might just be like the strongest showcase of tom hardy on screen charge like leading the charge of a movie and being the singular force that makes you watch it like if it's just a guy driving in a car for you know an hour and yes he he calls Olivia Coleman and Andrew Scott and Tom Hall, Tom Holland and talks to some people on the phone that are interesting, but it's not, it's about him. So I think it's deserving to be on the four. Dark Knight Rises. I agree. Let's take it off. Throw in uh, Venom. <laughs> I was going to ask you that too. I mean, no shout out to Venom in the top four. Um, That's a tough one. I, I would definitely keep the Dark Knight Rises personally, but I agree with Locke. I've seen Locke as well. Um, shout out to Tom Holland with, I think he's got like two lines total in it and uh, he almost made me cry. But um, I think that's a really underrated movie that uh, probably not a ton of people have checked out. I was at A24, like you're saying. So I'm sure it was, it was out in the streams everywhere. But yeah, kind of the forgotten, I think, Tom Hardy performance that, that nobody really brings up. The only reason I think Venom, he's just so, he just loved Venom so much. Like, I think if he could choose, he would put Venom on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good question. I wonder what his response would be if he was like, which is your uh, more favorite character, you know, Venom or, or Bane? I think that would be a Sophie's Choice for him. I know you're really excited about the uh, Bike Riders movie that is coming out soon, Cody. Uh, you talked about yeah. that on, on your la our last episode. <laughs> yeah, if you missed our last uh, Oscar prediction episode, go check that out. I did, for some reason, pick Tom Hardy to be nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actor in uh, the bike riding movie coming out here soon. So 
hopefully it's a Locke-esque performance that uh, really blows everybody out of the water. I don't know. Are you, are you too excited for that movie? I mean, obviously it's an Austin Butler joint, so I'm not going to be the biggest fan, but I'm going to be honest, like when it, I've heard the names of a lot of these movies coming out and I've done my research, but I just like stayed away from trailers for the most part. So I haven't like watched the trailer for this movie. I'm going to see it, but I can't really speak to like, it's, it's probably not something I am going to love if I'm just were to guess, you know? Yeah. Also, I love that from you. Uh, Guys, don't watch trailers. They suck. They don't. They don't like bring any like new experience to the movie. They just hinder it, if anything at all. So I back that completely. Yeah, I like Jodie Comer. So it's it's got a pretty solid cast for sure. Michael Shannon in there as well. Mike Feist. Um, but you know, motorcyclists. Austin Butler doing a an accent. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he loves doing accents though. Come on, man. That is true. That is true. Shout out um, Elvis again. <laughs> we should just do a full Elvis episode. Dude, it's, it came fucking full circle. Uh, Priscilla episode coming soon, people. Charlize Theron, mm. her four. Monster, Mad Max Fury Road, of course. Tolly, also producer, but uh, she's in that as well. And Snow White and the Huntsman. Yeah. Interesting four. I don't like this list anywhere as near as much as I like uh, Tom Hardy's list. Like I was saying, I feel like recently Charlize, uh, maybe she needs a new agent or something because the modern age here, uh, she hasn't done too much other than obviously her role is Furiosa in this flick, which um, if I'm being honest, she'd probably be one. I believe she won an Oscar for uh, Monster though. So I, I feel like that's fair of kind of putting that on the pedestal as maybe her best performance. I've not seen Monster or Tully or Snow White and the Huntsman. And that's my main question here is why the heck is Snow White and the Huntsman uh, in her top four? So I think critically and um, and uh, audience wise, it, it was panned pretty hard and and something that pretty much is is not talked about at all today. I think um, Chris Hemsworth and, and Kristen Stewart also star in the flick, uh, if I'm correct. Or I could be thinking of the wrong franchise, but I'm completely honest. That that is the one indeed. Uh, she's the third build person in the movie. She's Ravina. I mean, she's not Snow White or the Huntsman. She's the villain. Right. <laughs> she couldn't make either of the titular characters. But um, yeah, I would definitely take that. I think out of those three out of the top four, 100%. I would, yeah, I would switch. The thing is she has moved into more of a producing role. And I mean, she's continued to do that with a lot of her new stuff. I mean, even, you know, Atomic Blonde, uh, Longshot. And then she's, you know, produced sets that she's not in, like Murder Mystery and... Um, I could see like bombshell slipping in. That's more of like an Oscar type picture, but I don't know the old guard. That's the big, like most recent, like actiony. Her is the leading role, but it's a Netflix movie, and who really cares about Netflix movies, right? Um, I don't know. G- give me the long, long shot at the very least. Honestly, give me those three movies you named over <laughs> over the the other three, other than Mad Max on this list, Atomic Blonde uh well we should leave monster i mean monster she won the best actress who who remembers that though corbin i mean it was 20 years ago i i don't (laughs) remember it because i was three she's probably really good to be fair i'll I'll check out monster but yeah i mean like it just doesn't make any sense why these like terrible movies are in her top four for no reason so that kind of bewilders me george miller mad max fury road the road warrior mad max and happy feet of course, Happy Feet is always the. I, I think at this point, it's like if you if you know a little bit about movies, it's not like too surprising because I feel like everybody talks about it now. But it's like one of those things, like, oh yeah, you know, George Miller, director of Mad Max, also directed Happy Feet and Happy Feet Two. Isn't that crazy? 
But I mean, you know, solid little animated movies. People forget though, Cody. You know what people forget? Babe Pig in the City. Babe Pig in the City. <laughs> yeah, his filmography, I think, is really interesting, especially, you know, changing mediums so quickly in, in genres in a sense. Like, how do you go from directing a happy feet flick where it's just penguins singing all day to like the goriest, most post-apocalyptic, like worst case scenario film of all time? George Miller's an interesting guy. And uh, I guess just keep letting them do both because they're both not bad. The best part is like after the first Happy Feet, he was supposed to like direct this movie. And then it was like, well, you know, we're five, like five years later, like we're just going to do fucking Happy Feet 2. Like we can't get like Mad Max Fury Road is not going to happen. I guess Happy Feet 2 it is. Also, <laughs> I never saw Happy Feet 2. That one, it had to be a lot worse than the first Happy Feet, right? I mean, we're sitting at a 6.4 and a 5.8 on IMDb, respectively. So yeah. I can't really say yeah. either of them are like too crazy. <laughs> I th- I think I saw it. But again, this is this is one of those happy feet was like a elementary school movie night movie that they definitely played. Um, yeah. It's fun for the whole family. <laughs> I mean, it's penguins singing. How can you go wrong? Like, well, no, Cody, I think it's penguins stop. stop. Whatever. <laughs> Somebody sings in the movie for me. I don't know who it is, but Happy Feet. Um, Cody, could you name anybody in the voice cast of Happy Feet? Oh man, it's probably been about 15 years since I've seen the movie as well. It's been a long time. Let me take a wild guess. One of your all-time faves. What about like Leonard Nimoy, that seems like something you could do. I have no idea. Uh well, Elijah Wood is the main character mumble, but I should have guessed that featuring voices. Hugh Jackman, Robin Williams, Nicole Kidman, Hugo Weaving. I mean, come on now. It's a pretty good cast. I mean, yeah, people probably want to work with George Miller regardless of, you know, what kind of project it is. So, yeah, Hugh Jackman. I I do not remember that at all, but I wonder if he had the Aussie accent in the Penguins. That'd be dope. Hey, that's the connection. George Miller, noted (laughs) Australian, like we've talked about. Let's move on over, Cody, to the good, the bad, and the ugly. I do have a lot here. Um, I mean, off the top, just going more into the Furiosa character. And I, I feel like a running theme for me in this category will just be like general character development, which I feel like is a bit surprising for like a two-hour action movie in a sense, but the the main two core of of Max and Furiosa may be one of the most badass pairings I think we've ever seen. I mean, obviously they just take out a whole army basically by themselves, um, and somehow come out on top, which is pretty cool. Furiosa is just like sniping dudes out of the sky on on uh, motorbikes, which is awesome. Background here, the instrument car, just like blaring tunes the entire time, and then they even eventually get on the action and and start fighting Max. Um, who I think has the wear and tear in this movie. I, I don't know how. Um, Tom Hardy makes it all the way through this film, but the kind of the plot device to get them into it, I like as well, just because he's like a universal donor and they kind of strap him onto the front of the car with uh, Nicholas Holt's character. I think that's a lot of fun just to get it moving. And then you really understand like what Furiosa is doing is what and why early on, which I like that too. And then once they kind of pair up, it's kind of just like this unseparable duo that kind of at the climax of the movie in a sense, you feel like they may lose. And then it kind of just switches on time after she gets stabbed. They're like, oh, these people are, are big time trouble. But I love her development. Also, of course, that iconic scene of when she does find out like her home is is non-existent, basically. And 
there was nowhere for them to run her like breaking down on the sand that specific shot with like the sand moving around and and her kind of you know yelling out just some really really good stuff so everything uh kind of in max related i, I really love i i 100 agree i think their dynamic duo nature is is really incredible i love the scene when they finally um like trust each other where it's like i'm gonna show you how to drive this car here and that's gonna be me you know putting my trust in you and then um he then gives her the gun and that's just that moment and then basically from that time on they're like in lockstep 100 percent, like they have each other's backs even when he kind of splits off from them at the very end he's like no I've, he has his visions or whatever he's got to return and, and kind of you know they're going to ride off back to the citadel and take things over together which I, I think is really cool i also think that's great because it's like he doesn't even speak for the first like majority of the movie he's he's barely talking throughout and it is so much more focused on on her and her character and her motivations and his kind of job is just to you know just be there and, and push forward and then eventually that relationship grows into something more where we get the you know moment at the end, at the end where he like reveals his name to her which i think is really great also unpunctures her lung um which is is interesting scientifically i wonder that's how you actually do that <laughs> <laughs> shout out to max uh, the scientist um and then the other it's, character- it's it's the you know ballpoint tri- ballpoint pin tracheotomy same uh, same idea <laughs> Yeah, everybody can do it, probably. I'll, I'll try it one day, eventually. But um, the other character who I'm surprised you haven't mentioned yet, and there's not too many characters in this, so you can guess what I'm going to talk about here, but it's it's uh, Nicholas Holt here. I think on the first time I watched it, I didn't love him or his performance, but on a rewatch, 100%, I got to stick him in the gut here, I think. Um, he's very quotable. Obviously, you have, you know, oh, uh, what a day, what a lovely day. I mean, that's great. How can you not love that with him screaming with his his dry lips? Um, and then he also has like the roll credits moment early on too. Of, oh, I want to die on the Fury Road. Uh, at least go out kind of in a in a glory of smoke if he's going to go out anyway. So his development though, and I want to hear your thoughts on this because the whole like him bonding with the wife thing, I think that's a, a little bit like, I don't love that. But just like him at the end where... Um, a Morton Joe kind of like sprays him and then he fails him. And then he kind of like, I like the idea of like all of these kids were kind of just like told this their entire lives of, you know, we're going to die anyways. Obviously he has like those heat ulcers or whatever they are. So it's kind of like, you might as well do this and, and try and survive as long as you can until you go to the afterlife where, you know, you'd be parting with everyone for forever. If you sacrifice yourself, I think the idea, ideal odd, I can't believe it. I think the ideal odd, <laughs> The ideological. The ideology of that, I think, is really interesting from like the bad guys' perspectives or like, you know, the stormtroopers' perspectives, kind of the minions. So I like that they have backstory for that. And his overall turn, I think, is fun. And he has a good conclusion too, where, you know, he kind of sacrifices himself for good instead of bad. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that as well. I think the aspects of basically it's like a religious cult that Immortan Joe has formed and that's how he's taken his power in this post-apocalyptic world he's he's got this farm of concubines that create children for him and it's these weird half-life men who are raised to basically just you know be his slaves and then eventually sacrifice themselves in the hope of you know religious salvation at the gates of Valhalla um, and I just love that world and those ideas and, you know, the cult-like status and, you know, the 
the way that our world could potentially devolve into that, you know, all the things that go into that and all the ways that I see our world reflected in the, the society of Mad Max and the aftermath of that, I think is, is all really cool. I agree with you in saying that like on first watch, I didn't love Nicholas Holt's character or his performance. I would still say I don't love his performance or even him as an actor, but I think his character is a lot more interesting to me now that I kind of understand this world and I get where he was coming from and I see the arc and the development. I was listening to something or reading something where it kind of talks about how like he becomes Max's son, which I don't really... I don't know if I see that necessarily, or I love that angle or that idea, but it is, you know, it is cool to see him kind of find his home and find his family. And I think that's what this movie is really about. It's about redemption. We hear that line of uh, Max asking uh, Furiosa, what do you want? She says redemption. It's, it's about trying to find redemption, trying to find your home when it's been taken away from you, when you've maybe failed to, you know, save it in the past, in the case of Max, trying to find some semblance of humanity or society in a world that is completely crumbled because of ecological disaster and, and, and society falling apart. So I, I, I love his character and the way it reflects the needs of the others, you know, in the way Furiosa and Max and the mothers all are kind of, you know, working towards the same goal. Um, and I think it, it is, is really great in the, the story as a whole. I agree. And I think we're on the same page, Nicholas Holtwise too. I don't really love him as an actor, but I'd probably say like this is my favorite movie of his, or at least his favorite performance in the movie that he's in. So, uh, shout out Beast. Uh, he, he's pretty bad in all these things. Kind of bouncing off what you're saying too, just kind of like the overall ultra realism. I really like. Like you do think this is somewhat of a believable world here, and in, in like a hundred years in the future, like I wouldn't be shocked if I'm being completely honest. Um, other than like obviously everybody is like ultra headshots like all the grandmas are just like insane which again makes sense if they've survived this long and uh maybe i'll catch some flack for saying this maybe a good clip but i kind of like that the grannies got wasted as as quickly as they did um just because like it kept it ultra realistic the third act i guess spoiler alert here is is literally just them saying you know f it we're gonna go right back the the way we just got chased and take the guy take these guys head on and, and try to beat them all the problem is the crew that they have is, you know, Furiosa, Mad Max, Nicholas Holt, and then a bunch of wives and a few grandmas. Like, they don't have any firepower, really, if we're being honest here. So I like the fact that we get to that point in the story where kind of all of the people who you would expect to get wasted early on definitely do by these crazy polars. And, you know, they have fire. They have all the gadgets you would think they would have in this world. Um, and like I was saying, they get to the point where Furiosa gets stabbed and she's yeah, it's like <laughs> literally, like you said, her lung collapses. Like it is not an easy path to victory for our heroes at all. Uh, they really have to, to go through hell to get there. Yeah. So I just really like third act structure because it's kind of just crazy bonkers. And I don't know, just like them turning around and going back. I feel like it's such a badass move and, and unexpected from a plot standpoint. But I also like... <laughs> Like it kind of backfired. Like they've all pretty much died or was about near death before, you know, finally escaping, I guess, in a sense. But the ultra realism, I think, is is a bit scary, but really, really good world building overall. One other thing that I wanted to highlight, and it's been talked about plenty. And of course, we're just, again, two white dudes on a podcast who have, you know, <laughs> little to, to real experience about this. But I, I got to say that this is like an extremely impactful feminist story and the way that it depicts like violence upon women and the way that women in the past, in the history of our society, and again, maybe even into the future of our society have been 
oppressed and used and their bodies have been, you know, controlled by men and in, in that way. And it is really cool to see a female character uh, like Furiosa, played by Charlize Theron, play such a pivotal leading role in a giant action movie like this. And there's not many examples that are like this at all in the 21st century or really be at all in film. Um, Many of the other examples are just Charlie's Theron and other roles, uh, to be entirely fair. Um, don't want to discount any other great movies, but like this is the most prominent uh, female hero in, a, in an action franchise. Um, and, I, and I think that's really important to highlight. I think that's a great point. And I definitely am going to touch on that more in the ugly, just because I feel like normally in cat movies, we're always like, yeah, you know, it's a pretty good movie, but, you know, they really disrespect women at, at a bunch of points. And like you're saying, I mean, that is shown in the forefront of this film. That is kind of the main plot of, you know, uh, Charlize Theron is, is fighting back because these women are, are being, you know, done, doing a lot of bad things to them, obviously. But um, yeah, I think that's a, a very strong thing to, to kind of put out there because you don't see a ton of movies like this where there is a female lead and she's talking to all these other female characters and she's the kind of driving force and, and really the emotional front of the entire movie as well. So I think that 100 percent you know, breeds into how awesome this movie is from, from kind of all standpoints. And, I, and obviously, like the movie's still called Mad Max. But I think, like I said, it's like pivotal that like Max I mean, doesn't even give his own yeah. name. Like he doesn't even say it until the I end love, of the movie. It's not about it, really him. It's not even close dialogue. I don't think if you would compare um, the their amount of lines, I don't think. Um, and yeah, I agree. I think um, maybe just name it Furiosa, but also just give her her own. They're already movie. making that movie, so yeah. So I think it'll happen regardless. But I think just for the whole sequel thing, which we'll talk about later on, and it's weird that this movie even is a sequel. I guess you have to kind of name it Mad Max, but easily it, this could have been just named Furiosa, Fury Road. And I think it would have been just as good and, and made as much money. It, it is an interesting thing where it's like. You know, it's not even really the same. It is the same character, but it's like it's a different actor that's playing it. It's it's more of just like you're taking this idea of Max and you're putting him into a new story. But yeah, you know, I mean, cool anthology. But if I'm being honest, it's it's more of a reboot sequel, I think, in a sense, than an actual like you know straight up sequel. I wonder what the age difference is between like Mel Gibson's when he played him, yeah, in like Thunderdome, and then Tom Hardy in this because Tom Hardy he's got to be like. I don't know, close to 40, I would think in this. So it'll probably line up, you know, fairly around the same age as I think Mel Gibson was, you know, in Thunderdome. But kind of marketing it as a direct sequel, I think it's really interesting, uh, just a way to go about it from from the studio and George Miller's perspective too. But I think it works. It, it's definitely a tough sell, but I, I think it does work in the end. Well, Mel Gibson would have been 29 when Thunderdome was wow. like being filmed coming out. Uh, well, Tom Hardy would 35. be in his like mid mid thirties, early thirties. So you know, a little bit older. So kind of makes he sense. He looks pretty young in general too. I feel like he could play pretty much any age he would want um, in this movie, and, and I'd buy it. So yeah, at least it lines up a little bit. I'll hit one last time. The cinematography. I love the crazy wide shot when they're like driving into the storm. Um, obviously there's so many iconic images from this movie, like the ones in my background that you've already mentioned and, you know, even your background and just like, it's so beautiful the way the camera can get in close and the way the camera can be super wide, um, the way that it moves in and out and, and 
is so athletic and whether it's scenes where we're on the ground and we're walking around and we're like super intimate next to Tom Hardy's hands or when it's, we're driving and we see the, you know, flood caravan of vehicles. Um, the direction of the cinematography is, is top tier throughout. 100%. The, uh, the dust storm, unbelievable from a visual standpoint, just like specifically when that car goes flying up and all the guys kind of start swarming around. That's an amazing shot when Tom Hardy's kind of on the polar and there's that massive explosion behind him, I think is, is by far probably my favorite shot of the entire film. There's so many just like little scenes here and there that are just so memorable. I feel like from a visual standpoint, but I think we could, we could honestly break down every single scene and be like, Holy crap. Like, look at this shot, look at that shot. And, and we can go on all day. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's because like, there's some, there's so many layers. Like you go into the, the Mad Max wiki and learn about, you know, this character, like there's so much to read and so much uh, lore in this world that, that I'm not like super interested in getting deep in, but you definitely can. Um, let, let's move over to the bad Cody. One thing that I don't think looks great in this movie is the Citadel. Honestly, I think those the VFX don't really hold up in the same way that like a lot of the practical stuff does throughout the rest of the movie. Um, they're creating these like canyons and cliffs that just kind of don't look great. And especially when it's them up really high and they're trying to create depth and perspective, I think that's not always as successful. Um, and I know, like I said, that was some stuff done in reshoots. So maybe that's why there's some issues and they are maybe changing how the story was going to be. Um, I can't really, you know, maybe rushed on time and budget. So, so I understand, but I, I definitely don't think it holds up to the rest of the movie. I do agree with that too. I think it is noticeable of like, okay, I, f I finally can tell like there's a CGI shot like pretty clearly in this movie. So yeah, visually I, I would definitely agree with that. Um, some other small stuff and like, I mean, even with that one, it, it's sort of nitpicking. I feel like a lot of this is going to be nitpicking. Definitely. Uh, but I definitely have some stuff. Tom Hardy at the top of the movie. Why do we got to start movies with narration, dude? Like, I don't understand. Especially in a movie like this, where Max does not really talk that much in the first act. I don't need, like, a 15, 20-second dialogue of him talking about, like, oh, is he mad? Has he gotten mad? Like, I think George Miller was assuming that we've seen the three movies, which, of course, we haven't. But <laughs> I don't well, know if something, that I, something that I like about it is it's kind of like the movie opens with black and it's the credits and you hear him talking and then it we see him the shot of him and it's the car to his left and he's yeah. standing there looking over the devil yeah. which looks sick and it's kind of framing him of like oh here's the hero of our story he's narrating it and then instantly he gets captured he gets muzzled he gets tattooed he's strapped to a blood bag Hux and the lancer dude who looks like the fucking joker are dragging him around and, and he's like instantly like neutered and disabled and it's all about Furiosa from that point on. So I think it's kind of just like a misdirect right off the bat, which I love. I do like that too. And kind of talking about the universal donor thing a little bit more. It is an interesting plot device. Obviously, it's a full circle moment all the way back at the end. But it's still kind of like this magic blood BS that... Um... Hey man, I'm O negative. They could, he's just like me. It could be me. <laughs> Respect, respect all the own negatives out there. Uh, I'm probably just jealous. <laughs> like this whole magic blood stuff. Like I don't know, it just gives me flashbacks to like Star Trek into Darkness, of just like an overused movie trope. Obviously, this is like real magic blood in a sense, I guess. So it's it's a little bit better, but I don't know. I feel like maybe that was overplayed a little bit. Again, pretty big nitpick. Yeah, I mean, in the future, it 
I, again, it's like, it's everything is like commodified and like gasoline and water have been, you know, if you can, if you control the gasoline uh, and the bullet farm, then you are the person who's in power. And in the same way, you know, you can get the people with the O negative blood and you can, uh, you know, breed an army and, and save lives. But I do like how at the end of the movie, it's like that redemptive arc of the thing that was taken from him and the way he was abused and used as a slave is what he uses to save Furiosa as well, which is cool. I do like the callback as well. Past that, I do have a question for you as well. Maybe you can answer this, but uh, do, do we know who this little girl is who keeps showing up? I'm guessing that's like his daughter or obvi- obviously it's somebody who just, he couldn't say in the past, but do you know if she wasn't in, in the past? That's the thing, you know, uh, we're bad podcasters and neither of us, you know, watch the movies or did research. So I can't, I don't know if she was in the other movies, but the idea is that it is just like this girl in this village that like at some point in his past, he wasn't yeah. able to save and he's being haunted by that. I don't know if it's something that we've seen before or if it's new imagery, that's that's on us. And I, I'm not going to look it up. I don't care. Sorry, people. Respect, respect. But I just want to talk about that a little bit too because I, I don't know. It's it's an interesting concept and I think it makes sense of like he would have severe PTSD from, you know, obviously he, he can't save anybody in this world. This world has gone insane and I'm sure there's pretty much no survivors which we obviously see other than just people camping at the Citadel who are not having a good time anyways. But I don't know. I feel like it's a bit overdone. I feel like when it's kind of convenient, he kind of falls on these, these PTSD trances and then kind of just gives other people opportunities to maybe take him out. But I like the concept. I just don't know if I love kind of the overall execution of it. In in terms of this movie standing alone, it's like, I guess if you haven't, seen his past this is a you know we're, we're giving you a connection to mad max and, and what he's all about in some way you know he's a guy haunted true he's mad he's mad that's for damn sure um you got anything else i <laughs> I, I know it's like i do kind of hate how at the end they're just like we just got to drive back the way we came it's like damn like this whole movie is kind of like you've been on the run for this whole time and now you're just gonna turn around like life sucks like that but but that's tough yeah i mean i agree i think it's completely badass for being honest and it's kind of the question of like where else are you gonna go like even max says that like you can drive you know 500 miles that way and it's just salt you drive so. for 160 days and, <laughs> and nothing yeah but i mean yeah that is dumb i feel like from a, an overarching standpoint but i love it i mean it, it's it's kind of the thing where it's like in writing the story, you're like, where do we go? Well, I guess we just got to go right back where we came from. But that's also like the most realistic thing because there is nothing left, right? Yeah. So they probably just didn't want to create another set as well. So I don't blame them. <laughs> probably those reshoots. That's what it was. But um, one last thing. I'm on my side. And it's going to be completely just me again. It's just kind of the vibes I get is it kind of came off a little bit cheesier at times in the first watch. Kind of like at the end where like two cars are banging on each other before they're trying to get to this, you know, valley or ridge or whatever it is with the rocks. I don't know. It kind of just gave me like Transformers Fast and Furious vibe for a couple seconds. And I was like, I had to remind myself kind of what movie I was watching. I was like, oh, I I don't really love that. So maybe just not the best vibes of, you know, and maybe that this has nothing to do with this movie. It's just my bad experiences with other movies bleeding through possibly, but kind of some weird you know transformers vibes i feel like at the end well you know i talked about like how 
unique this movie feels and how different it feels you know even from things like transformers and fast and furious and all the actiony like 21st century and all the comic book action movies we've seen but the thing is over two hours for an extended period of time like it's hard to be a hundred percent authentic and unique and a hundred percent like for everything to look great and especially when you consider the like after this movie came back came out like everybody was trying to emulate it to a certain degree it, you're gonna like nothing is gonna 100 stand up for for 120 minutes of runtime agreed and like i was saying i mean that is very nitpicky so uh yeah, definitely a self-problem i think but you got anything else for bad here that that's all i had Let, let's kick it over to the ugly cody let's do it i mean again i feel like we could talk about a lot of stuff in this category this world in general is is completely disgusting i'll start off we haven't talked about um in morton joe too much uh com- being completely obvious i mean every single one of his actions in this movie belongs in this category so we did, i don't know if we need to go into all the details on those too much but specifically what i wanted to talk about uh was his death scene um mm. i'll tell you what dude he's a brutal villain but he may even got like a more brutal death. Just like the visual of that. I didn't even remember that from the first watch. And I feel like seeing it on the big screen like that, that is just like ingrained in my mind. And I can't get that, that picture out of his face just being pulled off like very, very quickly. So I thought that was really gross. Good gross horror, I guess. But yeah, that definitely deserved in this category. Yeah. Uh, this movie like isn't super gory throughout, but there's a couple moments and I feel like a lot of them revolve around a Morton Joe specifically as a character. Um, I don't have too much. I, we could talk. Yes. A lot about like the ugly of the movie and the society that is created. I don't really have too much about that. I do have some behind the scenes, you know, uh, Charlie's Tom Hardy beef that I want to talk about though. Uh, did you have anything else about the movie specifically wanted to hit on first? Okay. I did have a couple other things too. I mean, and I wanted to ask as well, cause like those heat ulcers, Obviously, like, they all live in the desert, so, like, that's not good conditions for your body. Some, something bad is going to happen. Uh, I believe it's just, like, cancer, like, on, on their bodies, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's there's a potential for, like, radiation and, like, like I don't know exactly the, the medical diagnosis of... That's what know, I was going to say, too, like... You know, the ozone's destroyed, maybe the sun is even stronger. Good point. And, like, uh, again, going back to Morton Joe, like... His opening scene is is him just getting fluffed with like some baking powder and baking just, powder, he's baking just, powder. He's just unbelievably disgusting human being from uh, you know from bottom to top. So just a gross guy overall, and yeah, he treats Roman even worse. So don't like this guy. He may pop up in my fight category later, but pretty much just wanted to slander him all, all the way down to the ground here. He's definitely deserving. Sick mask, though. Um, he's just yeah. trying to be like Tom Hardy, I guess. Cool costume design, I guess. But tell me about the uh, the onset beef because that is pretty interesting. So there's there's this whole book that was written called Blood, Sweat, and Chrome: The Wild and True Story of Mad Max Fury Road that I think kind of gets into some of this and maybe even some more you know details of just like everything that went into making the movie, but specifically. Charlie's and Tom Hardy did not get along throughout the filming of this movie. Um, it, it was kind of like a, you know, Vin Diesel and the Fast and Furious cast situation, I guess, where it's like, everyone was like, man, filming with this guy sucks. I have a couple quotes. It was clear that these two people hated each other. They didn't want to touch each other. They didn't want to look at each other. They wouldn't wow. even face each other if the camera wasn't actively actively rolling. There was specifically a big blow up that happened in the middle of filming where 
Charlie's was there. She was set up in the rig. It was eight o'clock. They were supposed to start filming and Tom Hardy was late. She knew he was going to be late. She was ready. He showed up late and she like blew up on him. She called him a cunt. She said all this crazy shit um, about like needing to find him for, you know, wasting everybody's time and wasting everybody's money. And then his reaction to that was like, what did you say to me? And he like got in her face and it was very intense and very aggressive. And reportedly after that fact, she said that she like felt threatened by him and didn't feel safe to be around him and needed protection. And there was all these reports that came out. So very intense, very vitriolic filming environment. Uh, Clearly it's crazy because they created something that is like feels so authentic and genuine and is like, feels like they had a really good deep connection and I think maybe even to a certain degree that was part of it it was like there was good chemistry there that also like boiled over into like being too much and too strong of of feelings also I do have some quotes from them after the fact they've kind of reflected and Theron said I don't want to make excuses for bad behavior but it was a tough shoe now I have a very clear perspective on what, what went down I don't think I had the clarity when we were making the movie I was in survival mode I was really scared shitless you know it was a very intense movie she was trying to you know just get by trying to be safe uh, she said because of my own fear we were putting up walls to protect ourselves instead of saying to each other fuck this is scary for you it's scary for me too let's be nice to each other we were functioning in a weird way, like our characters. Everything was about survival. And that's something that's so intrinsic to this movie. This is a movie about when you're put at the very fucking edge of society and the world and after everything's crumbled down, how do you survive? How do you go on? And these these actors are trying to do that. Hardy, many years later, said, in hindsight, I was over my head in many ways. The pressure on both of us was overwhelming at times. What she needed was a better, perhaps more experienced partner in me. I'd like to think that now I'm older and uglier. I could rise to the occasion. Um, Clearly, there were some mistakes made. Um, Neither of them handled the situation well. Um, But, you know, that definitely an an ugly thing in the making of this movie. And that that happens, you know, sometimes. That is crazy. I think in a sense, too, maybe they just got caught up a little bit in the method acting of like you said the the idea of survivorship seems like it was something um kind of both of them were were focused on heavily so that bleeding over into real life is is definitely understandable craziness that <laughs> they almost like came to blows i guess in a sense yeah but i think it's cool in hindsight that they were both like yeah like i was kind of over the top just i and mean you know this is like you know this is come this is like probably tom hardy's biggest moment as a star he's coming off just filming the dark knight right like he kind of thinks he's hot shit a little bit i mean he probably is a little bit and i mean so is Charlize, obviously too but like for this movie script too where like these two characters are are really the only you know fleshed out characters i feel like the entire like you know runtime there's got to be a ton of pressure to deliver especially you're you're in every scene i feel like and you're doing um, you're, stunts you're you're um, in hot desert like you're you're filming this in a bit like you're in africa away from you know family people you know like it's tough it, it cannot be easy so shout out to both of them for just getting through it like we're saying but yeah that, that's interesting i might have to check out that book because uh it sounds like a lot of wildness went down though so that's crazy i wanted to talk about uh something you know we talk about a lot of things getting canceled and people getting canceled but i wanted to talk about George Miller's canceled Justice League film for a little bit here in the ugly. Um, how much do you know about this, Cody? <laughs> I know a decent amount. So I believe, obviously, Army Hammer uh, was playing Batman. It was a really strange cast up and down, and I think it just got it got 
it was deep into production a little bit and then kind of got canceled last minute, I believe. Right? See, it is kind of, a, it's really an interesting thing to talk about in the context of some stuff that's happening right now in the Hollywood world. And that it was kind of a victim of the writer strike of 2007, 2008. So obviously I want to say, you know, we, since the filming of our last episode, the writer strike is officially, uh, it's come to an end, which is fantastic news. Um, and, and we're really excited for, you know, a lot of the gains that the writers had. I, I saw some figure that was like, if you take in the account of like the money, you know, the initial offer was worth, you know, like $86 million and this, this one's worth like, you know, $300 million and, and just like the, the gains that are, that are changed. And it's really great that this writer strike has, has been able to be resolved and hopefully people can, uh, you know, get back to work. There's a lot of uh, lives that are suffering uh, in the industry as a whole. Uh, it's been a huge loss. However, in 2007, 2008, they already had the cast. They already had the costumes. They already were going to film this movie. Then the writer's strike happens and they're going to shoot, but the studio is pissed about the script, but they can't change the script because of the writer's strike. Then finally, you know, this, the strike ends, they're going to film the Dark Knight comes out. That movie's so successful. Warner Brothers is just like, you know what? We're just going to not do this because we think like we're fucked. <laughs> like this is, we're at a loss at this point. Um, I will say DJ Cortana was supposed to play Superman. Army Hammer is Batman. Megan Gale is Wonder Woman. Adam Brody is the Flash. Common, the rapper, as the Green Lantern. Uh, Santiago Cabrera as Aquaman. Hugh K's Byrne as Martian Manhunter, Jay Burrishell playing the villain Maxwell Lord, oh, uh, wow. playing Iris West, Tessa Palmer as Talia Al Ghul, and Anton Yelich as Wally West. Wow, Anton Yelich as well. Shout out RIP. Um, fun cast. Jay Burrishell as Max Lord. I didn't know that. Of course, we got probably the worst version of that ever in Wonder Woman 84. So that would have been interesting to see kind of what his character was in that. But Honestly, I would have liked to have at least seen this movie, if I'm being honest. Obviously, like I said, once The Dark Knight comes out, this this thing is scrapped immediately. I feel like, I mean, other than Army Hammer, I feel like it's an okay cast and, and something from George Miller, I, I would definitely at least want to kind of give him a chance on. It, it's one of those huge, like, what ifs in Hollywood. And uh, yeah. it's crazy. The it would have way... changed superhero movies altogether. 100%. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And kind of the first massive you know, kind of get together instead of how the MCU did it their way. So it would have been completely different. We probably would have been worse off. So I, th I think oh, we're, we're in a good spot. Because the MCU would have made the Avengers like uh, the second film and it would have been god awful and, and we'd have no superhero movies ever. So I guess it, it depends whether you like superhero movies or not. But yeah, shut up, Georgie. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back with Invite Fight Night. Totally invite your personal friend Spider-Man. I want to fight you. Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. Cody, who do you want to invite on the pod? I have a fun one for an invite. Somebody we have not talked about yet. It is um, it's it's one of Morton Joe's sons, but specifically, mm. I'm just gonna call him the little guy. It's of course a little person who uh, has like the telescope, and he seems like the mastermind behind the operation in a sense. Um, honestly, like obviously all of Joe's kids, uh really just seem like idiots altogether but this guy he kind of just i feel like he would have insight on like the specific history of how this all came to be where he came from where everybody else came from where we all got to come to this point which again if i just watched the other three movies maybe i would understand a little bit more but 
I think this guy, out of all the goons, is the most kind of well-informed and uh, would be a fun time on the episode. So I say invite him on. His name is Corpus Colossus, and he is the eldest of Morton Joe's sons. Oh, well, there you go. That that uh, breeds even more what I'm saying. So, yeah, old boy, come on the pod. He has exceptional intelligence is the word <laughs> on the street, according to the Mad Max wiki. I got to go for the obvious pick here. It's the guitar guy, Coma Doof Warrior, also known as the Doof Warrior. He's a blind guitarist uh, who, who just plays this fucking sick-ass flaming guitar. And uh, he's played by a real-life guitarist, Sean Hape, um, better known as Iota. Uh, he said that the guitar weighed 132 pounds and shot real gas-powered flames. And he would use the whammy bar to, like, turn the flames on and off, which, which is pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, give me Coma Doof Warrior. Just get him to uh, – I, I don't know about, like, actually, you know, interviewing him. I'm not sure about that. But, Cody, we need a theme song. Oh, that's true. He would make a banging theme song as well. Uh gotta have the fire guitar there but yeah i like that pick a lot i mean how can you not love the new foyer in this movie you have to fight cody are is it joe are you fighting him i'm not i mean it, it's obvious i feel like you know that's my first pick and my son got what he deserved but we don't have to fight him i mean his face is already completely ripped off so i think i wouldn't be able to do anything extra to it uh, well, I pick here, it's going to be another guy who got uh, fatally injured, I'm assuming. But basically, he got sniped in the face by Furiosa, that guy. Uh, the specific line is, light a flare. <laughs> and they say, there's a flare right in front of your face already. He says, oh, shit. Um, I just love that line. So for that reason alone, and also he won't see it coming. So I think that's even funnier. I think he deserves a deck in the face. Yeah. There's so many options because there's a lot of bad people that are deserving to get fought. Um, but I'm, I'm going to take Nicholas Holt. <laughs> um, not even his character. I'm just, I'm just going down with Nicholas Holt. Uh, definitely not the Beast. I wouldn't fight the Beast. That'd be a bad idea. But uh, uh, I'm not a huge fan of his acting work. So th- this is where it's going to come to go. I got to respect the dedication because I feel like not a lot of people would do this movie. And, you know, he shaves his head. He paints himself white. But I, I just don't love him as an actor. So I'm sorry. Yes, to cuff it is. I don't blame you. I back it. Uh, coming up in the recast, I'm actually going to take him out as well. So yeah, I back me, it. Overall. Me too, Cody. Me too. Okay. <laughs> Moving on, night, Cody. Who do you want to night? My night. I mean, this is completely obvious. It's the Doof Warrior and his band uh, behind him. <laughs> just, I mean, I think the concept of just because I mean, these do exist in the real world. Like back in the war days, you know, there were people out there banging drums, playing trumpets, all that good stuff. So, like, again, this is kind of a realistic thing I could see, but this guy is just rocking out the entire movie. Like, his soundtrack is is unmatched, I think, just from kind of an action movie perspective. And you got the drummers in the back, like, kind of giving him beats as well. So, I think Knight, everybody in there, uh, but obviously, specifically, the, the Duke Warrior. It's on the nose because of the guitar player, but there's something just inherently, like, there's, like, a metal aesthetic to this world. And oh, yeah. uh, that you know, it's like the steampunk, hardcore rock and roll stuff that I think is so sick about it. And what, you know, he fits in so well with all the cars. And um, like you said, it's, it's that modern version of the drummer on the front lines, which is so cool. Um, My night also obvious it's Furiosa. She's the hero of the movie. She's incredible. Um, I'm excited to see a Furiosa prequel movie um, fully focused on her and and kind of her backstory. Um, But she, she leads the, the wives out and uh tries to save him and couldn't do it without her 
100%. Oh, she's, I mean, like I said, she's the hero of the story, undoubtedly. And uh, I agree. I'm very excited for any sort of sequel, prequel project with uh, with kind of her in it. So, yeah, I back that completely. The recast, Cody. Bond. James Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. I'll just kick it off with with my Nicholas Holt. We can start with with Nicky Boy off the top. I have a really fun pick. I'm going to go Tom Cruise. Um, (laughs) If we're talking practical stunts here, Corbin, is anybody better than Tom Cruise? I know for a fact that he'll shave his entire head. He doesn't care. He'll paint himself whatever color George wants him to. He'll get in the full makeup. He'll spray, you know, spray paint down his mouth. He he does not care. He's Tom Cruise. And I think you can even give more of like the stunts that Tom Hardy does on like the poles. I think Tom Cruise has got to be on the poles with him. Like you got to extend that scene probably threefold and just have them fighting the entire time. I think from an action standpoint, that would just be awesome to have Tom Cruise in this movie. I think we do need to see a Tom Cruise, uh, George Miller collaboration before uh, either of them eventually die. But uh, I don't know about if the Nicholas Holt <laughs> role is, is really right for uh, old Cruise. Change the character a little bit. Tweak, tweak the writing, you know. Who, who's your replacement? This movie's also probably a little bit kind of about Scientology. So I don't know if Cruise would love that. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. <laughs> um, this is my only serious pick, and it is to replace Nicholas Holt. Uh, and I'm going to take Daniel Radcliffe. You know, I, I love a little weirdo and, and Daniel Radcliffe can play a little weirdo. Uh, he'd shave his head. He'd go, he'd go full method. He'd get in there. And I, I think he would do a lot better um, at it kind of being a little freak than Holt. I like that pick. I mean, I agree. He'll, I think he'll pretty much do anything too. Like you're saying, I mean, Swiss army man is, is the obvious comparison there, but yeah, I, I do just genuinely think he's a better actor than Nicholas Holt as well. So I feel like most people, if you just pick a good actor to replace him, uh, I'm probably not going to say no. It would be really cool to see him in something huge as well. Because, And, I, you know, I know he's not, like, super interested in doing that maybe after Harry Potter, but he's been in so many small things. It would be cool that he, if he was in, like, some huge big blockbuster in a more small character role like that. It's a good point. He probably really does just try and stay away from, like, the massive budget flicks, I would guess, because... He probably, I mean, one, he doesn't. Yeah, and I mean, he's a, you know, he's been typecast into a specific, I mean, he's a guy who's like done a good job of shedding that in the world of independent film, but I feel like a big studio movie would try and, you know, this is not a role that if you stick Daniel Radcliffe in it, you're going to be able to market, oh, hey, we've got Harry Potter in it because he's like painted white and, you know, like it's so, it's disarming from their person, you know. Yeah, I mean, if Tom Cruise is in this movie, they're going to, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Neither of that happened. We got fucking Nicholas Holt, so regardless. All right, my other pick. I do have another one here as well. The side villain character, but it's just a really chubby guy. He's a guy who gets gunned down by a Morton Joe because he just doesn't care. That guy. Yeah, want... that Tom Hardy's in the car with him, and he's, like, yeah. kicking him in the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I want to take him out because I think that I didn't love the actor. All of like the practical makeup I thought was good. And it was probably a real hassle just getting in and out of that. So shout out to that guy, I guess, for that. But I wanted somebody with maybe a little bit more experience acting and more experience with practical, uh, you know, makeup. I'm going with my, my, my most underrated actor, uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, shout out the whale motion he does in Dune. I love that. But I think he'd be good in this um, and maybe give that character, obviously, a little more screen time, a little bit more depth with Stellan playing that role. But I feel like with 
kind of all the side honchos other than just that specific flair line. They're just like really forgettable. So I think bringing in a known actor would at least kind of get me more interested in, in why they are there. Yeah. I mean, you've kind of, you, you're bringing it up, but like the Dune comparisons are, are easy to begin to draw for this movie. Um, so I think Stellan definitely makes sense in this world. Um, Vin Diesel, Cody. His name is Vin Diesel. How's he not in, in Mad Max Fury Road? Come on. I don't care what role we give him, but get him in the flick. Is he, is a, is the rock joining him or is it just a solo, solo flick here with him? Just, just the diesel, man. Just the diesel. What do you want him? Just, uh, he could be, uh, the Lancer, right? That'd be a good spot for him. Die yeah, I, I could throw, throw him in as the Lancer. Um, I mean, as the big son, the Rictus, is that his name? That's yeah. got the gun. He could be, I mean, he could play Joe, but personally I have a better pick for more than Joe and that's Al Pacino. He's got the hair to match. He can go crazy. Ah, yeah, more than Joe. That's where it's at. It would definitely be more iconic lines, I think. But I don't know if I if I back that one specifically. Um, I would watch it, but it would probably just be bad. Rating, Cody. Do you like me? What do you want to rate this movie out of sixty nine? Yeah, this is this is a tough one, I think, because compared to a lot of movies we we've gone over here on Cap, I think this is a a sort of subgenre of its own, so it's hard to compare. I don't know. In my notes, I had a 63 out of 69. I think I'm going to go with 64 after our conversation here today, though. So I'm going to lock in the 64 out of 69. I mean, it's a five-star movie for me. Um, there's, there, Like I said, obviously, there's a couple little nitpicks I have. But overall, I don't think from a two-hour kind of action movie, you're going to find anything kind of on this pedestal. So it, The it's- second Nicholas Holt movie that you have put at a 64 out of 69, Cody. Days of Future Past? Yeah. Heck yeah. I love that movie. It's probably because Nicholas Holt's not in it too much. So, uh, yeah. Honestly, like, I think that lines up perfectly. Those are both five-star movies for me, undoubtedly. But obviously, they they have some little flaws here and there, you know. (laughs) I'm a little lower. I I got it as a four and a half. And just, like, because this is just nonstop action and there isn't necessarily a ton of, like, deep story beyond that, it's not, like, my favorite. There's such good character development, though. There's really cool character stuff, but the plot is rather simplistic. It's oh, yeah. like drive, fight, turn around. We're going to drive back to the place, you know? I want to see more from this world and maybe I should watch more Mad Max movies for that reason. But I almost want to see like, what is the world of Mad Max from a different director's perspective or with a different character, a different story, um, less intense action-based. But I still love this movie. Four and a half stars, 59 out of 69. Um, it's right up there still near the top but not the top top that's a good rating for you yeah I feel like uh, we're kind of on similar standpoints uh, with the rating there so respect definitely all right you might also like you might like it it's a killer rush I kind of already mentioned it but I think Dune if if you're interested in Mad Max in terms of like epic scale desert movies i don't think it gets any better um it's very clear that like mad max as an idea was inspired by the original frank herbert dune novel to some degree um this is less sci-fi spacey than dune Uh, i even also though imagine that like in terms of like dune part two and some of like the messiah nature and like the profiteer like that like cult-like approach to things that i think we'll see even more in the sequel is very similar to a lot of the ideas in mad max in terms of like a a genre rooted in like 80s action 
let's take James Cameron T2. That's a great action movie as well. If you like Mad Max Fury Road, you, you'll you'll like T2 as well. There's some great car, you know, motorcycle chases in that. Hundred percent. Um, that was on my short list as well. Funny enough, shout out Terminator 2. I love that flick. Check out our episode on that one too. But yeah, I, I agree with Dune. I think kind of Dune is it's really influenced everything that it, that has come out in modern movies. Um, and this is definitely not an exception. So I agree with that wholeheartedly. I have other two. I have one stupid pick, but I'll start off with uh, Snowpiercer um, as another one. Kind of the idea behind that is like, it's again, a post-apocalypse. We did it as a double feature, so you might as well too. <laughs> we did. We did. So shout out to that. But it's it's the post-apocalyptic movie from the other side. Like this one is, is heat. Cold yeah, that Snowpiercer is like ice and cold. So, and it, it has similar themes, I guess, in a sense, sort of social class and what happens when the world kind of falls down um you know what will people do when when there's nobody around i guess in a sense but i'd recommend that and then my other one just off of the fire fury road theme itself i gotta go hunger games catching fire um <laughs> and again if you're like a big time action you know a uh, flick person maybe not the best but dude catching fire is a great movie i think uh people forget about it a little bit are you are you coming <laughs> to the tree oh yeah yeah music's not the best 100 really get that kind of it's not as great action but it's still like interesting action to move the plot along i feel like which is what we get here too but mostly just because you know they they both have fire themes i guess if if you like the fire theme go watch catching fire no pun i I respect it and hey maybe uh in our our movie mini draft someone will, will pick another uh hunger games property we'll see uh but before we do that it's the final question cody all right listen i got one last question for you i'll start us off here they are making the furiosa movie which i believe is a prequel to the events of this one and charlie Theron is not playing the role of furiosa she's obviously been recast anya taylor joy has taken over my question for you cody is should they have done that should they have recast or should they have just let charlie's play the role I actually didn't even know that. So that is news to me as well. I do like Anya Taylor-Joy a lot. I think she's a really, really talented actress. Um, I'm going to say no, though. I think Charlize, like I said, this is by far my favorite performance of her. And that is kind of disappointing that she's not coming back. Like, I, she, she's pretty young. She looks young. I don't know. She's got a shaven head. So that definitely helps. I, I feel like with, you know, age-wise, it's, it's hard to kind of tell where somebody's at with that. So that's kind of interesting. But... Yeah, I don't know. That definitely kind of does not make me as excited as I would be for a sequel with kind of Charlie's involved. So that is kind of sad. Do you know who's playing Joe, though, Cody? <laughs> okay, pairing with Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, is it uh, Stellan Skarsgård? It's an MCU actor. Ruffalo? A le- uh, No. <laughs> There's like 100 MCU actors. Edward Norton? I have no idea. <laughs> Chris Hemsworth. (laughs) Interesting. Has he ever done a villain role? I don't even know if he has. That'll be interesting. I don't know. Uh, It's scheduled to come out in May of next year. I have to believe that'll be pushed with, you know, strikes and everything. Damn, and Morton Joe's going to be buff as hell, dude. I don't know. (laughs) That's that's weird uh, casting for Hemsworth. That that catches me off guard a little bit. Hey, man. Uh, I am curious to see it at the very least. Oh, Um, I'll watch it. I mean, George Miller directed... Yeah, say less. Uh, my question for you, it is also George Miller related here, and it's a barn burner. You can only pick one here. 
You can't pick both. Are you going to pick as a better overall film, Happy Feet or Babe, Pig in the City? Uh, Cody, can I be entirely honest with you? I've never seen Babe, Pig in the City. <laughs> hey, you got to pick one then. I mean, I would go Happy Feet regardless. I think Happy Feet's a wonderful story about. Um, I, I I do now now that I think about it, Happy Feet. There is singing because the whole thing is that like they all sing, but he's the one that yeah. doesn't sing because he's different. <laughs> he stomps his feet, so it's really a story about you know acceptance, redemption, finding. It's very similar to Mad Max Fury Road. It's clear that um, it, it's a great film about uh, a love and loss and, and the human condition. Well said. So is Babe picking the city, to be fair. Uh, no, it's about a pig in a city. I believe James Cromwell is the guy's name. And he's also uh, the flair guy in this movie. So good actor, underrated actor who didn't make our list in that episode. What's the difference between Babe and Babe Pig in the City? So, uh... <laughs> and by the way, from... James Cromwell, yeah, from Succession. Uh, goes Uncle the... Ewan. Oh, yeah, I forgot he's in that. Shout out Succession. But, uh, I mean, the main difference is Babe goes to the city. That, right. That's it's 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 kind of like a strays thing it looks very similar to the movie strays he's surrounded yeah. by dogs he gets like lost i think to begin and then james cromwell's like trying to find him but babe's doing his own thing he, he's kind of figured it out in the city basically all right guys we'll see you next week for for babe picking this i've always been more of a charlotte's web kind of guy to be entirely honest though um the three movie mini draft cody well it is draft day this week you selected fourth movies in franchises as the draft um which i think it means i get to go first right because yeah. you picked the, the category so <laughs> i had the first pick uh, last episode anyways so yeah, yeah. so i mean i'm just gonna take star wars a new hope the fourth movie in the franchise because uh, it is episode <laughs> I don't four know. star I don't wars know that that's the first uh, movie Cody, you you pulled some bullshit on this movie draft game, and I'm taking a stand, <laughs> and I'm picking A New Hope. I'm not taking Phantom Menace. Oh, receipts. I've never cheated like that. That's a clear cheat. It's not a cheat. It's the fourth in the franchise. It's number four. We'll let you have it, because I'm a nice guy. Um, Thank you. <laughs> my first pick. And uh, to preface this, too, there's not a ton of, like, outstanding fourth movies other than Mad Max, which... Well, I got a deep list. <laughs> I have a deep list as well. We'll have a lot of good honorable mentions, but I don't know where to go with my first pick. I think I'm just going to take my personal favorite, even though I don't think it's it's on your radar at all. I'm going to go with The Muppets Christmas Carol. Um, shout out Mike O'Kane joining the Muppets cast for, for a Christmas movie. Something a long time ago, I'd been like, that doesn't make any sense. But it is absolute perfection. Um, if you've seen any sort of variation of the Christmas Carol storyline and you haven't seen the Muppets version, you are truly missing out. I, I think it is uh, far and away kind of the best storytelling from this kind of specific story. Um, and it does it obviously in a, a really fun Muppet way. So that, that's got to be my first pick here. Really solid pick. Um, I mean, Charles Dickens, the Muppets. That don't miss. <laughs> All right, with the number two pick, I'm actually going to take a movie that came out this year, which may be a little controversial, but it's John Wick Chapter 4. Uh, in terms of action, one of the better action movies. It's actually not my favorite John Wick movie, uh, but just a really impressive like feat of stunt work and choreography and uh, pretty interesting villains and uh, 
Keanu, man. You can't beat him. Shout out uh the other scars guard, Billy Boy. Um, I think he's good in that. That was probably gonna be my next pick. Um, I agree. What is your favorite John Wick? Uh, I'm a John Wick three guy. Same. All right, we're on the same page there. But yeah, the fourth one is still pretty good, I think, even though Yeah, I mean this is the honestly whole... like they're like within and on my big list, they're like all within the same like group of like 20 movies because I think they're all like pretty consistently strong. One thing about the fourth that I don't really like, I guess it's just the aftermath of like, oh, is John Wick dead? Um, so it seems like it's a little not- long. It's <laughs> the ending, I mean, it's it's unique, but it, I, you know, I could, I could give it to me. Just kill him off. I don't understand why he needs to come back. But um, yeah, good pick. My second pick, uh, I can go a lot of different directions here. I'm going to go, I guess I'll go Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I really don't even want to pick this, if I'm being honest, but it is probably the best movie available. Uh, the boy Brad Bird, of course, the known animated director, came and helped out Tommy Boy, scale the old uh, Burj Khalifa, which is awesome. Him running away from, again, a massive sandstorm is awesome visually. Uh, just that cast is, is really fun. Simon Pegg, I always love in the Mission Impossible movies. So I think I'm going to take that with my second pick. Very nice, Cody. Um, like I, I've only seen the newest Mission Impossible, so I don't have a lot of Team Ghost Protocol? No, I haven't. Oh, wow. <laughs> you should check out Thor 5. They're actually not bad. The new one, I haven't seen it. I've heard, yeah. I mean, I've heard great things. I, I Dead Reckoning, though, did not make me necessarily want to go check them out. <laughs> I just don't think I'm a huge Mission Impossible fan, to be honest. Yeah. I I did, I've so. seen half of the first one, and it did not capture oh, my first, interest. The first two are not very good. <laughs> John Woo. You should check out John. I mean, uh, Mission Impossible 2, just for all the doves that John Woo has. It's pretty awesome. The craziest thing I'll say this about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is that there is a plot um thing in the movie and this isn't really a spoiler where like the villain the guy villain not palm clementi um and also not the ai but the other guy who's like the villain in the movie is somebody from ethan uh hunt's past or whatever is like their whole setup and he's like having flashbacks throughout the movie of how this guy like killed some woman that he knew and you're like seeing all this happen and as me someone who had never seen a mission impossible movie i'm like oh this must be mission impossible too like this guy must be like something we've seen before but no it isn't it's brand new lore where it's like this is some guy from his past that we've never heard of that has now shown up and is is tormenting him. It's pretty dumb. It's it's not uh John Voight or Philip Seymour Hoffman, right? No, it's just uh <laughs> it's just some guy. Interesting. Well, that makes me want to check it out even less. So yeah, fair enough. Some guy doing the bidding of an artificial intelligence, which wow, the yeah. worst person in the world. Yeah, played by <laughs> Isai Morales. Hey, shout out Eastside. Uh, what's your last pick here, though, in the in the fourth movie? Yeah. There's a lot of good. There's a there's a lot of decent options here. Um, I'm gonna go with one I know you're not gonna pick because you haven't really watched them, but I'm gonna take the fourth Harry Potter movie. Uh, you talked about Daniel Radcliffe a little bit today. This was probably my favorite or second favorite of the books, and and it's up there with the movies. The third movie, I think, is the best in terms of craft, but the fourth is the one where it takes the biggest jump into in terms of like going into a more adult world, into a more expansive movie. The there's so much more that happens. Of course, you get Robert Pattinson and, and all the different, you know, uh 
wizard schools that come in which is a really cool aspect and at the end of this movie spoiler alert Voldemort like officially officially comes back in full form which is a pretty huge thing for the franchise so I think Goblet of Fire is a is a big movie in in terms of the Harry Potter world you're not gonna say the quote do you put your with a Goblet of Fire <laughs> no not that one that one <laughs> the my boy one. Oh. <laughs> My boy. No, I'm a. Hey, did you put your, did you put your name I think, um, weirdly enough, I've seen Prisoner of Azkaban. Like that's the I've seen that full movie, and then I've also seen like the last half hour of Goblet of Fire. So I have seen some of this movie, and it's like the whole wizarding tournament thing, or whatever it's called. Um, uh, I think that's kind of cool. So, and then I have seen the end, yeah, which it gets kind of intense. So I do like that pick. It, it definitely was not on my short list, but. I definitely respect it. Um, it's my son, my boy. <laughs> I thought you liked that quote. Maybe that was somebody else I'm thinking of. But um, my last pick here, it's a tough one. I think, <laughs> I think I have to go with Rocky Four, um, just because Rocky alone pretty much defeats communism. So I think that's hard to match up against any other movie of kind of like you know, how much the hero kind of accomplishes at the end. Also has a really great villain with with Ivan Drago. Um, really intimidating. He kills, obviously, um, is it Danny Glover at the beginning of the movie? No, wrong one. <laughs> I always mix them up. I swear I'm not Carl really Weathers. Oh, I right, got that. Uh, Ivan Drago, he kills uh, Carl Weathers at the beginning of the movie, which is kind of a big shocker because obviously, uh, you know, Creed has, has been in. You know, he's been a big part of, of the other films in the franchise so far. So it's kind of a big shock. And then Rocky's got to come out of retirement and, and whoop his ass. So I think just from a fun movie standpoint, it, it doesn't get much better than Rocky for. Very similarly, a story about revenge and redemption, uh, at the very least. Uh, some honorable mentions here. Scream 4, not my favorite Scream, honestly, probably by like second to least favorite Scream, but still like a decent horror movie. Uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, the fourth movie in the original Planet of the Apes uh, 5 quadrology or whatever the fuck. Uh, decent one, probably actually one of my favorite of those original ones. Catching Fire Part 2, Hunger Games. Okay, not sorry. Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. Yeah, that one's okay. Uh, oh, Twilight sweet. Breaking Dawn Part 1. Okay movie. I don't even know how many Twilight movies there are. Yeah, I, I think I've- John part two is a lot better than part one, right? I don't know. Not we'll have to leave, that out. leave that to the comments. <laughs> I'm going to mentions as well. I really wanted to pick uh, Star Trek Four: The Voyage Home, which is obviously the original um, Captain Kirk Spock with Shatner and, and Nimoy. And it's a fun one where, where they like travel back in time to San Francisco and have to like save the whales. So it's kind of just like a, a really cool throwback kind of Star Trek movie in a sense, which I do like. And then my other honorable mention too was uh, Thor 1, which is the fourth movie in the MCU. So kind of cheating in that standpoint, I guess, of of what you try to do with Star Wars. You want to take Love and Thunder. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. That's the only other like fourth movie. Actually, dude, we could have Avengers, taken... we could have taken Endgame. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But uh, tough. Avengers Endgame. Probably not a mention as well. That's really not my favorite Avengers movie by any means. So I guess I'm not too mad about it. But Thor 1, I kind of like that movie. It's definitely hated on. Obviously, it's a Kenneth Branagh, just like Shakespearean piece, which doesn't really fit any of the other Thor movies. But 
from from kind of his his bleached eyebrows to to everything else, I think it's okay. Eclipse, Twilight, Breaking Dawn Part One, Breaking Dawn Part Two, Twilight, New Moon. That's the that's your ranking. That's the official ranking. And if you want to hear uh, a great episode on Twilight, you could go back to our April Fools episode <laughs> from earlier this year. Yeah. We have some uh, some uh, guest hosts who know a lot more about Twilight than us. So definitely go check that out. All right, Cody. Last but not least, weekly watches. Karen, honey, uh, what are you watching? What have you been into? It's been a minute since we've uh, discussed. It's been a while. So I actually have a decent amount that I have checked out recently. Off the top, my big TV one, I uh, started watching uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine for the first time. I think I'm about 17, 18 episodes in. Obviously, with sitcoms, I feel like. Uh, you can get through a lot more of those, you know, quicker than than other shows. But this first time, yeah, yeah, I've seen I've seen like episodes here and there on TV, I think. But yeah, it's my first time kind of going through the series, so it's been fun. I I like the humor. It's kind of more like sophisticated humor, I think, than The Office in a sense. So I'm a fan so far. Um, past that, I've been watching a decent amount of movies too. Started off with Asteroid City. Finally checked that out on Peacock. I liked it a lot. I mean, Wes Anderson kind of similar to this film just his cinematography style is is undeniably great and the cast is it goes on and on and on and it gets I'm hoping even... uh i'm hoping to go see uh henry Sugar this yeah. uh this weekend it's it's playing in uh theater so i'm gonna go check it out hopefully shout out to uh the cumberman um <clears throat> looks pretty interesting uh what i usually call him actually i don't remember i forgot cumberbund cumberbund yeah shout out cumberbund <laughs> he's not in asteroid city surprisingly but the cast is awesome. Um, the story is interesting too. I I didn't really know what to expect going in. Obviously, I heard a little bit of stuff about you. Obviously, it's just like kind of how a play is made in a sense, which I think is really cool from Wes Anderson's perspective. Um, and of course, shout out Jeff Goldblum and and Margot Robbie for just taking on tiny roles, but uh, both absolutely killing it. Um, probably the most memorable thing in the movie for me is is both of their just tiny scenes. So shout out to them. Uh, past that. A few other movies, I checked out Happy Gilmore for the first time in forever, which eventually we will have to do a cap episode on because honestly, it might be my favorite comedy of all time. So if you haven't seen that classic, go check it out. And then as well, the, the other big one that I checked out here recently too was uh, The Favorite, uh, which of course is a uh, Yorgos, whatever his last name is, production. Athemos. Athemos, sure. I believe he's some Greek guy. But, uh, oh, actually, and I was looking into a little more, he used to play uh, professional basketball. Um, so shout out Yorgos. I, that he probably just became uh, one of my favorite directors based off of that alone. But this movie is effing awesome, dude. Like, I don't want to hype it up too much because I know you haven't seen it, but it's really, really, really good. Emma Stone is awesome in it. Obviously, Olivia Coleman won Best Actress um, in this role, too. And then, you, of course, have Rachel Weisz, who is a Yorgos kind of mainstay, just kind of there. Uh, kind of chugging along i i happen love this movie like i said i uh, highly recommend it to you corbino and i don't want to give anything away but it kind of just like gives off really great game of Thrones vibes which you would not expect at all for a movie like this i feel like so yeah uh, i'm excited for uh four things because this movie was was pretty sweet and then my last one i checked out this week too was game night kind of just trying to knock off some other uh movies i've missed here and there over the years off my uh my watch list i thought it was okay i think rachel mcadams um is a lot of fun in it and her pairing up with bateman i think is a good duo but 
I mean, Jesse Plemons is a real weirdo, which is, you know, expected, I guess, at this point. And uh, the plot, it's interesting. I mean, it goes places that did surprise me, which is good for a comedy, I feel like. But overall, kind of just like mid-level tier comedy, I would say. Not, it's not like funny. super funny, but it's no. it's like, okay. It's kind of just like, it's trying to keep you on your edge of your feet a little bit more and kind of make you laugh in the third act, which I guess that's fine. But that's kind of, you know, not really what I was looking for in a sense. Yeah. That's good, all my watch. I'm sure good. you got a lot less than me i'm guessing i got a few movies and I'll, I'll hit a couple of them real quick uh i saw life which is the uh 2017 like oh we're i mean it's basically like an alien ripoff where we're, we're in space and there's a thing that's attacking our ship and we're all gonna die uh you know it's got ryan reynolds and jake gyllenhaal and rebecca ferguson <clears throat> have you seen this one cody i have not the cast is, is fun though well, I, I really don't want to spoil anything. It's got a decent cast. Uh, okay, effects. It, it's a very competent version of something that has been done many times. You know, it, it's, it doesn't really bring anything terribly new or unique to the table. It, it, it's, a, you know, it's an enjoyable watch. That's the thing. It's like one of those ones that it's well enough made that, you know, for two hours it grips you and you do want to see what happens, but it's not the best version of it by any means. Um, speaking also of Alien, I watched Alien 3, which, you know, is a little follow-up to our Aliens watch a couple weeks ago. Um, I know you haven't seen that one either. Honestly, there are some things I liked about it more than the other Alien movies, but then there's also a lot of things that are like much worse about it. There's some like pretty rough VFX comping where it's not even, it, it's literally, it's a puppet, but it looks so bad because of like the way they, the, the green screen that you can like clearly see around it. Um, it looks terribly inserted into the scene. The thing about this one is that the alien um, gets inside of a dog and bursts out of it so it's like kind of a dog alien and it like runs around on all fours and it's like fast okay. um which is a little bit different um but i really like the ending of the movie uh the setting is interesting it's kind of on like this prison all male prison planet and, and ripley's there she's got to shave her head and um really the biggest issues lie in the fact that it you know was kind of taken away from david venture and ripped away from him and the studio recut it after the fact and it's just a little disjointed and weirdly put. Um, but for a first feature, I think it is pretty well made for David Fincher. And it's incredible. You know, the very next thing he does is, is go and make Seven, which I also watched a movie I really love. Uh, our boys over at the RCR just did an episode on it. So you can go check them out. Um, I know Mad Max Fury Road is also on their top 100. So eventually they'll be doing an episode on that as well. So, you know, look out for that from them. On top of that, I also watched The Killing, which was one of Stanley Kubrick's early films. It's a black and white noir picture, kind of at the end of the noir era. So kind of Kubrick taking on this style, you know, a new age of filmmaker, you know, kind of on the heels of a genre ending, which is cool. Um, it's it's well made. It's good. It's a guy working with limited budget and still kind of figuring things out. But it is competent and it's, in, you know, an interesting story about a guy doing one last job that inevitably is going to fail. As you see, it's kind of one of those stories, you know, one last job type thing, but a cool little heist picture. Um, and then Dumb Money, Cody, the, uh, the latest entrant into the anti-capitalist film, this time a true story, big short-esque, except it's 
something that happened literally like less than two years ago, um, considering the, you know, the GME to the moon, GameStop uh, stuff that happened kind of, you know, during the height of the pandemic. This is a movie that um, has a lot of masks, which I thought was interesting. It is very much like a pandemic movie. It's very set in the time period. It's got a little bit too much Pete Davidson. I know that's something that Carter pointed out in his letterbox review, and I definitely agree with that fact. Um, overall, it's enjoyable. It's a little bit, you know, it's a simple, we've seen it before. We've seen the big short. It's not as good as that. It's, it's an oversimplification of, of a mass, you know, event in history, you know, kind of taking all of these different people's lives who are affected by it, but not necessarily finding the through line to connect them in any meaningful way, other than that they all experienced this event. Um, overall, it's pretty decent. Uh, there was a scene filmed at the uh, the Journal Square Path Station that both of you and I, you know, have been to, Cody. So if you, you watch the movie, you can recognize the location. Um, but they did pass it off as Boston rather than Jersey City. So a little bit of disrespect there. Uh, that is very disrespectful. Um, I get some backlash for that. But um, also too much uh, Pete Davidson. I've never heard of that. I love Pete Davidson. So might have to check this one out. Yeah, I like that. I'll throw a couple other things I'll just very quickly. I watched this movie Sanctuary, which is like this psychosomatic sexual thriller that came out earlier this year. Super interesting. It's on Hulu. It's only about 90 minutes. Um, and it's got Margaret Qualley, who's in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She's the Manson girl that tries to flirt with Brad Pitt in the car. Yeah. yeah. Um, weird intense sexy fun check it out and then also the beanie bubble cody are you familiar with this movie it's oh. the last one i want to talk about sarah snook i believe right sarah <laughs> snook uh sarah snook elizabeth banks zach galifianakis and right. <laughs> playing the uh the leader the the tie of the ties toys in in the beanie bubble but um, this is, again, another one of those, oh, how did it happen? Tetris, Flaming Hot, blah, blah, blah. The Beanie Bubble. How did Beanie Bubbles come to go? Um, and it's probably one of the worst versions of it that we've seen. It's even worse than Tetris. I did not like this movie very much. And I'm, I'm sorry that this is what Sarah Snook uh, is doing post-succession. And, and even what Elizabeth Banks is doing uh, post-Cocaine Bear. <laughs> I feel like Elizabeth Banks has been doing just garbage pictures recently too i feel bad for her shout out power rangers but yeah i want to see sarah snook in a lot more too that is disappointing yeah another failed accent we'll say that um <laughs> cody any uh any last thoughts i th I think that's pretty much it i think it's a fun episode overall um really really great movie obviously and a good one to talk about but yeah man love uh love capping weekly here and uh excited for what's come I have one last announcement that I'm going to make and you're going to have, uh -oh. you're going to, you're going to have to deal with the ramifications of this information, Cody. Uh -oh. So in the month of October, I have decided that I will only be watching two kinds of movies. Uh, I'm guessing horror is one. Horror is one of them. <laughs> and the second is if Leonardo DiCaprio is a member of the cast. So in terms of cap purposes, you will only be watching one of those two things. Nice. Um, so I'm going to use this as a time to catch up on some Leo movies I haven't seen. And then of course, leading into Killers of the Flower Moon. And then also outside of that, I'll just, I'll stay spooky. So that, yeah. that's going to be my October. I love it. Back to spooky season. I think a spooky season should return to cap as well. Uh, get a couple more horror films in here. So I'm on board. Anything Leo too. <laughs> Obviously, I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs>
definitely be on the lookout for uh for some of that in the coming weeks and yep. uh stay capping stay capping what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard at no point in your rambling incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it